Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. We are now going to prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. And this morning we're hearing that from John O'Ives. Some of you may know John O, some of you might not have met him yet, but he and his lovely wife Tanya pastor Centerpoint Vineyard, um, which is one of our local vineyards in Sydney. And so he we are continuing on this morning in our series about Paul. This morning, John O is specifically speaking to us about Paul the church planter. And so I would, John is unfortunately not with us in person this morning, but he's recorded uh, his message for us. And so we will listen to that now. Oh, good morning, Northridge Vineyard. Uh, my name's Jonathan and Bonnie and Rob have asked me to share this morning on Paul the Church Planter. It's so great to be with you this morning. Um, it's such a shame we can't do this in person, but it's great that we can still connect on technology. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, I'm married to Tanya, and together we've planted a vineyard church on the northern beaches called Centerpoint Vineyard. Uh, we actually began right before the first COVID lockdowns hit last year, so it's certainly been uh, an adventure that's been a faith-stretching journey for us, but we've really seen God do some exciting things, and we felt like we were called to plant Centerpoint um, because we wanted to see a vineyard church that primarily decided that from its outset we want to keep Jesus at the centre and his kingdom at the centre of all we do. And we want to be really intentional about being welcoming and leading people towards Jesus as their center. So this morning, I want to look at Acts and looking at Paul, the church plant. So I want to look particularly at Acts 11, verse 19 to 25, and then pull out some applications for us as followers of Jesus. But before we read this text together, let me just highlight a couple of things for you. Uh, the first thing is that the book of Acts was written by Luke really to span over like a 30 year period. And I think that's just helpful to remember because sometimes we read it like it all happened in two weeks. But this is really ministry over the long haul. Uh, Luke's really picking up like the key stories that emphasize the point he's trying to make. And that point is ultimately that the ministry of Jesus did not stop with his ascension to the Father. But his plan all along was that his ministry would continue through his body, which we call the church. And we all have a role to play in that. The second thing I just want to highlight really quickly is the context of this passage. Uh, this story really picks up the story of Saul, we know him as Paul, after having taken kind of a necessary sidestep in earlier chapters, looking at Peter's account of how the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles or the non-Jews. And that event really blew everybody's mind because up until then, the strategy of sharing the good news of Jesus in the kingdom had really been directed at the Jews and primarily through the ministry in Jerusalem. But from that point on, Acts then kind of starts to tell the story of how the mission of Jesus to bring his kingdom was carried on by the church through primarily church planting, reaching Gentiles or non-Jews. And this story that we're going to look at is actually the really early days of a new community of believers in Antioch. And they'd accepted Jesus and had begun to bring the kingdom in their context. And this church, the church in Antioch, actually become, became one of the central resourcing churches outside Jerusalem and ended up being a base for Paul's missionary journeys throughout the Roman Empire. And the context here that Paul began to church plant from, um, although ancient, was actually not too dissimilar from our, from our own in many ways. You see, the message of Jesus in the kingdom was really foreign and counterintuitive in that culture, certainly different from the cultural norms of the day. And some cultural commentators would call our current cultural moment in the West 
um, post-Christian in the sense that many people have little or no accurate concept of who Jesus is and the freedom that he offers. And so like us, Paul was actually trying to reach people with a completely foreign worldview, very potentially anti-kingdom worldview, and he's trying to see the kingdom break in into that context, much like us. So let's pick it up from Acts 11, verse 19. Now, to those who had been scattered, now I'll just pause there for a second because that's really like much of us in this season. You know, the church has been scattered worldwide, unable to gather in the way that we've been used to. So to those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, I just want to pause here because it's really interesting that Luke actually highlights the word Lord here, not Messiah. You see, the word Lord would have been more meaningful or resonated with people in a Hellenistic or a Greek culture, which is what they're speaking into. Um, the word Messiah would have been more contextual to Jews, not to Greeks. And that's actually a key reason why we church plant, because if we want to reach unchurched people, we need to be continually contextualizing our message in a way that people can understand. So we might think that Paul church, a church planted or planted churches simply because none were in existence. And that may be partly true. This was the first generation of the church and it was expanded by church planting. But the reality is that the church is always one generation away from extinction. We can't kind of rest on our laurels and think, hey, we've done pretty well historically because each generation needs to lean into the mission of Jesus to bring the kingdom to the next generation. John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, when he first planted uh, his Vineyard Church, he said, what are we packaging to reach the next generation? I.e., what are we contextualizing to reach the next generation? And I think that's a really great question that all of us have to keep in mind as the people of God. How are we contextualizing the message of the kingdom? Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. I'll just pause here again because something was clearly happening here. There's evidence that God was working. And I think that's important when we're thinking about forming a strategy for reaching people, continually asking the question, where is God working? And I'll talk about that shortly. Verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true in the Lord with all their hearts. Now, it's actually interesting here that none of the 12 apostles weren't really involved in any of this. Up until Antioch, as I said, the church had been primarily spreading through the ministry of the 12 apostles out of Jerusalem, but not in this case. The kingdom here in Antioch was advancing through unnamed believers doing the work of the kingdom. And I think that's pretty key. Luke's trying to emphasize this point that anonymous believers, just followers of Jesus, were spreading the good news. And in the vineyard, we actually have a phrase for that. One of our values is that everyone gets to play. You see, if we're to effectively reach unchurched people in our communities, we can't rely on one or two superstar celebrity Christians. We all have a role to play in this. The church is advanced primarily through everyday unnamed believers just being obedient to Jesus. It's as true today as it was back then in Paul's day. We all have a role to play in this. Verse 24, he, that's Barnabas, was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. 
Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who's Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And Luke's actually said nothing about Paul in the book of Acts since chapter 9, when he left Caesarea for his hometown of Tarsus. And commentators think that it was possibly over a decade, that period of time, that Barney then tracks him down on his Instagram handle and sends him a little DM and says, hey, come and help me in Antioch. And I think there's actually a little encouragement there, just even in this moment that we're in, for those of us that perhaps who have felt like we've been in a bit of a pause moment. You know, 10 years prior, Paul had a dramatic salvation encounter. He was knocked off his horse. He saw Jesus. He was blinded. Um, he was prayed for and healed. And then he began preaching the good news. And then it seemed like he went back to normal life. Now, presumably, he continued to preach the gospel in Tarsus, but we have no record of what happened there. Um, for those that know Tanner and myself, we actually have kind of a similar story. Uh, we had about a three-year period of, we found it quite a frustrating kind of waiting season of preparation before we felt like God asked us to step into planting our current, in our current context, Centerpoint Vineyard. Um, and since then, we started right before COVID, we've had kind of two years of stop-start. And I remember in that three-year kind of waiting period, I had a conversation with a vineyard leader in the UK at the time, and I was a little bit exasperated. And I remember I said something like, it just feels like I'm wasting my time. And he said something that really struck me at the time. He said, time is never wasted in the kingdom. God can always accelerate something and make up for lost time. And perhaps that's a word for someone here, um, or perhaps as us in the vineyard in this moment, as we look ahead into this next season coming out of COVID, what the Lord might do. Let's head into that season with expectancy of the kingdom of God breaking in. Verse 26. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church. The word is ecclesia there in the Greek and taught a great number of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Before I go on, I just want to finally linger on two, those two words that Luke highlights to us. The first is that word Christian. While most of us would probably call ourselves Christian, Christian's not actually the term that disciples in the early church called themselves. They preferred to use words like brothers and sisters um, or saints or just disciples. And in fact, until Antioch, Christians were called followers of the way. The word Christian it's come up in scripture a couple of times, but it's usually used as a bit of a slight against the followers of Jesus. You see, until now, people assumed that the followers of the way were just a sect of Judaism. But that really shifted in Antioch. Jews in that culture traditionally just kept to themselves. They wouldn't have associated with Gentiles or non-Jews. And yet in Antioch here, Christians were eating with Gentiles. Paul actually writes about it in Galatians 2, and he specifies eating with Gentiles that was causing a bit of a ruckus amongst the Jews and even amongst the apostles. You see, they were literally practicing the way of Jesus through outrageous hospitality, which doesn't mean that they got really, really good at baking cookies. It meant that they were welcoming the stranger. They were welcoming the outcast. They were eating with people outside of their current context. And that's actually what enabled Christianity to spread like wildfire in the first century. So as followers of the way of Jesus, church planters or not, we're all called to practice this outrageous love and welcome of the stranger. Our research in the church across the West has shown that church plants actually attract three to six times more unchurched people in established churches. Now, I don't think that stat says that simply because a church is new, it's automatically going to reach unchurched people. And just because a church is new doesn't automatically make it effective. If you're talking to someone who's unchurched, they have no grid. They couldn't care less whether a church is a church plan or not. 
They don't even know what a church plant is. But what I do think that stat demonstrates is this idea of why followers of Jesus were called Christians in Antioch. See, often church plants are forced to practice welcoming the stranger because none of us know each other. We're all strangers. And if we want to grow, we have to start meeting people and inviting them in to what's happening. And one of the reasons I think that potentially over time, more established churches can maybe become less effective. It's not because they don't want to be effective. It's simply because over time, if we're not careful ever so subtly, our focus can begin to shift a little bit away from welcoming the stranger to maintaining what we've got. And the challenge for all of us as followers of Jesus, for us at Centre Point, for Northridge, for vineyard churches across Australia, is to not lose sight of the importance of reaching people with the message of Jesus, particularly those that are outside of our circle. Um, William Temple, he was an Archbishop of Canterbury uh, during World War II, and he's famously quoted as saying, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. This has always been what God intends his followers to do, to follow the way of Jesus by practicing hospitality, by welcoming others in. The second word I want to look at is the word ecclesia. And we translate that word as church in the English, but it literally means called out ones. It was a Greek word for an assembly of citizens. Um, Jesus used it twice in Matthew, and then it goes on to be used a number of times through Acts and a number of times in Paul's letters. And what this word ecclesia is conveying is actually different to how we often think about church. This is not a term for a gathering on a Sunday morning where we meet up and drink coffee. This is so much deeper than that. It's literally signing up to be a citizen of a different kingdom and to intentionally lean into that community. So when we combine these two emphasis, the, the label of Christian and the commitment to be part of a community of called out ones, it becomes pretty obvious that to be a follower of the way of Jesus is to be part of gathered community and to live a life of outrageous welcome and hospitality of others that welcomes people into the community of called out ones. And church planting is just one of the ways that we lean into that. Um, new communities have called out ones seeking to represent the kingdom of God in a new context. And as the ecclesia, regardless of our context, I think a helpful question to constantly ask ourselves is, if we were moving here, wherever you are on the North Shore, Northern Beaches, to be a missionary, how would we engage this people and culture with the message of Jesus? So often we think that we have to go somewhere else in order to be missional. But actually, that's just a lie that keeps us stuck. You see, we're all missionaries right where we are. What we see around us is not all there is. There is so much more available. God wants to do more in us and through us to reach the people around us. And when we think about Paul, the church planter, we often focus on Paul's church planting strategy. But I actually think that Paul's strategy developed out of this understanding that we're called out ones who were called to demonstrate the kingdom in our context. And church planting was a representation of that, almost a natural overflow of that, of seeing the kingdom come. Um, for me personally, or, or Tanner and, and myself, we actually never really saw ourselves as church planters. But what God put inside of us was just a deep desire to see a church that was like a family on mission together in order to see people come to faith here on the Northern Beaches. And initially, I remember having conversations with the Lord about this. I was, I was pretty reluctant. I remember having conversations saying, you know, well, why don't we just do more evangelism? Why do we need to church plan? And it was almost in that question, there was sort of like a da-da moment for me. I just felt the Lord say, well, then where will all the people belong? Where will they call home? And John Wimber, again, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, 
He wrote, to belong to the universal church, I need to belong to the local church. And to belong to the local church, I need to be at home. And from what I can tell, that's really Paul's intent here in Antioch. I'm not actually even sure that at this point he saw himself as a church planter. I think he just began gathering the ecclesia and equipping them to reach people with the gospel. And when people came to faith, they entered into the family. Peter Wagner, he, he was an author and an academic at Fuller Seminary. Uh, he wrote a book called Church Planting for the Greater Harvest. And in it, he underlined that when people decide to follow Jesus, if their action then is not followed up by bringing them into a local community, it tends to become just a gesture. So church planting then becomes the means to nurture really the results of evangelism. And he went on to say, and I quote, the single most effective methodology under heaven is planting new churches. The single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting new churches. And that's why church planting is so important. Not only does it help actually facilitate evangelism, it provides homes for people to come and belong. Even those that are already perhaps walking with the Lord to get equipped and become effective missionaries in their context. And the vineyard historically has always been a church planting movement. It's a key element to seeing renewal in the church and the kingdom break into new areas. And I personally think that it would actually benefit all churches, regardless of whether they're a church plant or a more established church, just to look at adopting some church planting mindset. You know, coming back to those basics of why are we the church? What are we trying to achieve here with Jesus? And keeping the focus on that and asking the question, how are we continually reaching people with the good news of the kingdom? So I want to finish this morning just looking um, a little bit about strategy. How did Paul actually do it? And ultimately, how do we as followers of Jesus, followers of the way, as disciples, how do we pursue this in our own lives, regardless of whether we feel called to plant a church or not? Paul was clearly strategic. You can read a number of papers on, Paul, on Paul's church planting strategy. But in reading through Acts, I actually don't think he came up with a 10-point playbook for church planting. I don't think that language even existed in that context. This wasn't kind of a brand expansion strategy that was cooked up in a boardroom. I think that Paul's strategy was the same as Jesus. We remember in John that Jesus said, do what you see the Father doing. And that phrase of Jesus actually became part of our vineyard DNA. We want to continually do what we see the Father doing. Focus your attention on where God is working. And I think that's what Paul was doing. You see, there were already believers here in Antioch, and they just needed help. So he focused his attention there. It's not in the text, but I can kind of imagine Barnabas saying something like, hey, Paul, yeah, listen, long time no speak. Hey, I'm here in Antioch, and it seems like God's up to something. Do you want in? And when we sense that God's moving, it's a great time to jump on board. Antioch actually grew to become a key resourcing and sending church in the Roman Empire. And from there, as I said before, the Lord led Paul into new areas. But each time he went to a new area, from what I can tell, his strategy seemed to be the same. So widely and see where God's working. Uh, an example of that would be Acts 16 when he goes to Philippi. Often he would visit a synagogue to start with, but there wasn't even a synagogue to visit. So Paul just goes down to the river and it says, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. They just jumped straight into it. They went straight into sowing seeds. And it turns out that God was already working there in a person called Lydia. She was a business owner. And it says that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And it turns out that Lydia was actually a person of influence in the city. And she came to Christ and was the first member of a church in Philippi. 
And Paul ends up staying in her house and planting the church from there, which ended up, again, becoming quite an influential church, not only in the region, but actually in early Christianity. And do you think that Paul knew that when he went down to the river? Personally, I don't. I think he just went for it, went looking for where God might be working. And when God shows up, he just hopped on board with what the Father was doing. And when we bring this into our context, have you perhaps ever thought that maybe the lady who just opened up a new cafe in your local shops could actually be a person that Jesus wants to radically bring to faith to influence a whole region? I mean, do we even have those lenses on when we go about our daily lives, when we're getting our morning coffee? We need to begin as people of Jesus to step into our calling again as called out ones, as Christians. This is who we are. So to come into land, all I want to say is this. I want to encourage us all. Let's increase our intentionality. It doesn't matter if you've been in the church for 40 years or if you've just come to faith. As we come out of lockdown, as the ecclesia, as the called out ones, as Christians, let's be intentional again about discipling ourselves to Jesus. Let's be intentional again about what it means to be the church, to exist for others, to welcome the stranger and to pursue the kingdom of God. I was thinking the other day, and I don't mean to be facetious here, but I was thinking, flipping heck, if the flat earth conspiracy movement can grow, then I think we can see churches flourish here in Sydney and, and throughout Australia as we follow the presence of Jesus and what he's doing. Let's hop on board with what we see the Father doing. And as we do that and as we plant churches, we'll probably look back, like the book of Acts, we'll look back in 30 years' time and we'll have a whole bunch of amazing stories about how God showed up and his kingdom broke in. And who knows? Your local barista might be the next Lydia. You never know. Let's go for it. Amen.